if you haven't noticed, the days are getting shorter. Um, this morning, I walked uh, my dog at like 6.30 in the morning, and it was still pretty much the middle of the night. I got to the park. Um, I saw two skunks, three rabbits, and like four cats. It's because it was still the middle of the night. No one was uh, up and about. The days are definitely getting shorter. Uh, my name is Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Community. For those of you joining us on live stream, I want to say good morning to you as well. Uh, whether you're traveling and we're unable to make it under the weather, whatever it is, I pray this message meets you where you are. Um, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastoral intern here at Community. I wanted to start off with a question. Uh, how many of you have ever been camping? All right, keep your hand up if you enjoy camping. Yeah, there... There are fewer hands that are still up. Uh, my wife and I, we love camping. We went camping uh, back in September a month ago during that really hot weekend that we had. It was like 90-some degrees. Uh, so we have a dog. We went camping. And camping is one of those things, okay, so Ellen worked uh, all night, and she got out of work, and we started packing up and that kind of stuff. So we get the cooking utensils in the car, the, uh, the, the tent, the chairs, the groceries, the, uh, the s'more materials, um, you know, all the stuff that you need to bring, pack up the car, pack up the dog, get the dog food, dog toys, dog collar, dog leash, dog harness, all this kind of stuff. You pack everything in the car, and we, we drove out to Huron National Forest. Beautiful place. It was a larger campground. Uh, the front of the campground had like this, these cement uh, camping lots that you would pull your RVs through. And I, I just got to say, RV camping isn't really camping. Um, so <laughs> I know some of you own RVs are kind of like, oh, I'm not listening to anything he says now. Uh, no, so th that was the front of the, the campground. And we, we bought this, we rented this space that was three or four miles back into the woods. You drove uh, along this little curved road back throughout into the woods, nestled in between this river and an outhouse was our spot. Uh, so we, we get back there, and we, we had bought our firewood. And we start to unpack. At this point, it's like three or four in the morning, and our, or not in the morning, gosh, no, uh, in the afternoon. Uh, and our dog has been, you know, car sick in the car, drooling all over the place. She's just generally not happy in the car. So we get there, start unpacking everything. We get the tote out. Um, we get our tent out. We set the tent up. We have this little two-person tent that's about this wide and like this long, just enough to fit two people and a duffel bag. Uh, so we, we get all that set up and uh, get the firewood out of the car, and then we realized, oh, no, we're, we're going to camp on the site next door. Uh, so then we pick everything up, all the camping wood, and we walk it over to the site, you know, by hand, and then we reset everything up, and uh, we get the dog a place to, you know, to sit. We give her food and water, tie her up to a tree. You know, it's 4 p.m. Okay, we got to cook dinner at some point, uh, and cooking on a cast iron Dutch oven means you need a fire, so we start a fire. And uh, you need to let that fire simmer for a bit to, to cook with, a, with cast iron so that the heat is evenly distributed. Um, so we, we do all that, and then, okay, it's time to cook dinner. Everything's taken care of, unpacked, and all that kind of stuff. Realize the Dutch oven needs to be clean, so you heat that up, and uh, you throw some water in it, scrub it. Now it's all clean. Cool. You can finally start cooking. It's like 6.30 p.m., Okay, you eat dinner, awesome, you have this fire going, you get the s'mores out, Sadie needed, you know, three or four walks already. Uh, by the end of the day, you're like, man, this is exhausting. Camping as an adult is way different than camping as a kid, because you don't have your parents to, like, get everything ready for you. Uh, even so, we do love camping, but you, you, you end up asking the question, like, why do we even do this? You know, why put ourselves through this? And that question was answered for me the next morning. Uh, so we slept all night in the tent. 
Sadie was in the tent with us. We have an 11-month-old border collie. So she slept in the tent with us. She's moving all over the place. She did great. Even when the pack of wolves that were, you know, somewhere across the river were howling, she did great. It was, it was wonderful. We woke up next morning. Um, I let Ellen continue to sleep. I got out of the tent, and there's just something about waking up in a tent, whether or not you got a good night of sleep, um, that, that's just refreshing. And you unzip the, the tent, and you step out, and you... Breathe in the morning air, and it's quiet. None of the neighbors are awake yet. Take Sadie for a walk down to the river. Uh, bring her back and set up a fire. So now a fire's going, and uh, the, the birds are just starting to chirp for the first time for the day. The, the sun is just dancing through the leaves of the tree. The trees are beginning to breathe in the wind. The, the world is just sort of starting to wake up. The smell of fresh coffee sitting by the fire. You can hear the river flowing just down the hill. And I realized that the why, for me at least, and I can't speak for Ellen, is just that God's creation is beautiful. And I love to, I love to be there. And it's totally worth it. But I don't think we get to a place very often in our lives where we can evaluate some of the reasons why we do some of the things that we do. A lot of us have traditions from our parents, from, that we adopted from our spouse, from uh, mentors or teachers, but often we don't really audit the reasons why we do some of those traditions. So like if you have stockings uh, above your fireplace, uh, that's a tradition that maybe you never thought, well, why do we do this? Uh, it's just a fun way to give gifts. Uh, do you open presents the day before Christmas? Uh, do you open all of your presents on Christmas morning or the night before and then go to like your grandparents' house? Uh, all this kind of stuff. I know there, there are more examples besides just Christmas, but uh, Christmas is coming up. But, but so we don't get to this point where we ask the question why behind some of the things that we do. Uh, today is Reformation Sunday, and 500 years ago, that's exactly what Martin Luther did. He saw some of the actions of the church, and he was thinking, like, why is the church doing some of these things? And through prayer and scripture and prayer and scripture and prayer and scripture, Martin Luther came up to the church and said, look, some of these things that you're doing just aren't right. He recognized that there was some corruption that had creeped in. And that's, that's normal for a fallen world. But out of that reformation, uh, we get these five pillars of the Christian faith. Last week, Trent preached on sola scriptura which is essentially a fancy word to say scripture alone is our one rule of life and faith. As we breathe scripture in, which is the, the, the breathed word of God, we are able to face the world nourished and informed and ready. Scripture alone is our authority. Uh, then there are, there are three more, sola fide, sola gratia, and sola Christus. We are saved by faith alone, through grace, and in Christ alone. Today we're talking about sola deo gloria which is to the glory of God alone, or to God alone be the glory. So uh, what, what, is, what is glory? Um, so I heard somebody say that the glory of God is more like the word beauty than basketball, uh, because you, if someone's never seen a basketball before, you could describe it to them pretty well. Uh, it's, it's a ball. It's orange. It's got bumps and lines, and it bounces. Some people are really good at bouncing it. Uh, I'm not one of those people, but some people are good at bouncing it. But you can't describe beauty as easily. You can try, and, and beauty, some people would say, is subjective, but I think what the glory of God is, in some sense, is the evidence of who he is. Like when, like when I woke up that morning of camping and walking outside, breathing in God's creation and just saying, wow, 
I think that is what points to the glory of God when we see his work in our lives and in creation and we say, wow, God is good. I think that's what points to the glory of God. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live a life that people looking into our lives, looking at our actions and decisions, they will say, wow, his God, her God must be incredible based on how we live our lives. Our message today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can, but I just want to take a, a couple of minutes to talk about what's going on at the church uh, in Corinth. So Paul planted this church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, uh, and he's left the church, not like, see you later, guys, but he, he's doing more work. He's planting more churches, and he's writing back to the Corinthians to kind of work through some things with them. And that's what we get in these letters. That's how we read Paul's letters. He plants a church. He's writing into that situation and explaining some things, helping them through difficult situations or helping them celebrate or being thankful for who they are and the work that God is doing there. In Corinthians, though, uh, we see a, a vast diversity of religions. I preached on Rome a few weeks ago, and I talked uh, Romans, and I talked about Rome as sort of being this international airport, airport on like a holiday weekend, where you go there and you experience tons of different cultures from all over the world, different religions all kind of coming together at one, and it's super dense and stinky and smelly. And I told a story about this kid that lost his shirt because his baby brother puked on it. Uh, but so Corinth is sort of like that, but not quite as dense. So there's the diversity but the population is a little bit lower. That's because Corinth has a wide variety of trades, commerce, entertainment, what have you, similar to, to the U.S. And Christians that were there, um, they were involved in all sorts of social contexts, right? So some of them went to the games, some of them uh, were merchants, some of them were traders, all this sort of thing. Uh, Paul is recognizing that a lot of these Christians in Corinth have simply tacked Christ on as an add-on to their lives, rather than making him central to their faith. And I think this is because Corinth, if I were to describe it with one word, it would be egocentric, self-worship. Everything about Corinth was to better yourself. If you were a merchant, you would do anything and everything to get a leg up on competing vendors. If you were an athlete, which there were a lot of athletes in Corinth, you would do anything and everything you could to be the best, the strongest, the fastest, whether it were illegal or legal, how you got there. They were, they were so obsessed with self that men were encouraged to fulfill any and all of their desires and lusts, and no one would bat an eye Every step forward for a Corinthian needed to pass one question. That was this, is this best for me? Is this best for me? And this should sound familiar. I think this is our culture too. And not, not just America, but I think this is the world's culture right now. That our decisions are based solely on what's good for me and my family. And we leave out. God from much of the equation. And Paul turns this upside down. Uh, so let's, let's start reading um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 33. I'm going to read the whole thing straight through. I'm reading from the ESV, which will be up here on the screen. Your version might be just a little bit different, but you should be able to follow through, no problem. So let's read together verse 23. Paul writes this, All things are lawful. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground, on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invite you to, di to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Let's pray. God, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for your word. I thank you that we can be sure of what you have said to us here in this book. I pray that you would open our hearts to your message. If there's something that I have planned to say that you don't want me to say, strike it from my memory, convict me of it later. If there's something that you want me to say, make it burn within me so that I can't help but to proclaim your truth. You don't need our permission to enter this room, but we invite you with open arms. Transform our lives and hearts this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So let's back up and, and look at some of these verses a little bit closer. Uh, I'm going to take them uh, two at a time, starting with verse 23. So let, let's follow along. All things are lawful, Paul writes. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. What Paul is saying, like, look, in regards to the law, you can do pretty much anything you want to do. You are not under the Mosaic law anymore. You are free in Christ to do what you want to do. In fact, you can mow your lawn on Sunday. You don't have to hide the TV from the pastor. That's awesome. Maybe more so your parents experienced that than, than some of you. But you can watch anything you want on TV. But what Paul says is even though you can do all of these things, maybe in some cases you shouldn't. Because not all things are helpful and not all things build up. What Paul is saying is, look out for your neighbor rather than yourself. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. For a Christian, it is perfectly okay to drink a beer. There is nothing wrong with having a beer. But should you have a beer if you're around someone who has struggled with alcoholism their whole life? Maybe not. You can watch anything on TV, uh, but should you watch something that degrades women or, or men or romanticizes violence, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of this, maybe, maybe we shouldn't, what Paul is saying. Anything is lawful, but not all things are helpful. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbors. Uh, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, and this is where we kind of lose touch because we're 2,000 years removed from Corinth without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If you were to buy meat at a meat market, uh, we, we have the farmer's market in Holland and in Grand Rapids where you can buy groceries and uh, little knickknacks and all this kind of stuff. Um, they would sell meat there, and a lot of times this meat would have been offered previously to false idols as a sacrifice in different religions. And what Paul is saying is that you don't need to know where that meat came from. 
Because you know that those idols, if it were sacrificed to them, those idols aren't real. You know that this meat came from the Lord of Lords. So you don't have to worry about where the meat came from. Go ahead, go ahead and buy it. But Paul gets more specific here. He gives a specific example of how we can live out and live to the glory of God. Verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, verse 29, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Paul's saying is that even though he knows, even though we know those idols, those gods are false, they don't exist. If you're at, an, at a table with an unbeliever and someone says this meat has been offered as a sacrifice to another god, don't eat it. Uh, not because you would be actually worshiping another idol, uh, but because the, the not yet believer might see you condoning the worship of false idols, might see you as worshiping another god. And if you're representing Christ, that's, that's not okay. But if there's a, a, maybe another Christian at the table who's younger in the faith, uh, don't eat it because it might be a stumbling block to them because you should be looking out for the good of your neighbor, not yourself. What Paul is saying is that this, this, this new believer, young believer, uh, might not quite fully understand what it means to be in Christ, that all things are lawful, so don't be a stumbling block to that person. It's just Paul getting specific. He's saying that our liberty, our liberty, our freedom is in Christ from the Lord and no one else. But our freedom should not be exercised at the expense of another person. He's saying if, if this is going to be a stumbling block for somebody, just don't do it. All right, so Paul, we have this freedom in Christ. What do we do with it? Uh, if, we, if we're not supposed to use it at someone else's expense, what do we do with the freedom that we have in Christ? Paul answers this in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do with your freedom, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Follow my example, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. What Paul is saying is that I want you to exercise your freedom, but I want it to be governed by the idea whether or not this gives glory to God. And if it doesn't, whatever you're doing, if it doesn't give glory to God, maybe consider not doing that thing. And that, that sounds like a, a rule or a law. Um, it's not. In Christ, we have freedom and out of grace, we live into that reality, into that freedom, because our, our, our salvation, we are saved from ourselves, from sin. We are saved into the body of Christ, into Christ who lived for everyone else, lived and died. And that's the life that we're called to. So he's saying, exercise your freedom, but govern it by whether or not what you do gives glory to God. What Paul is saying to a culture so obsessed with self-improvement, self-worship, uh, self-glorification is basically, look, get over it. Get over this self-worshipping mentality. It's not about me. It's about God. Instead of asking, is this best for me, maybe ask, does this glorify God instead? 
Instead of asking, does this make me look good? Maybe ask, does this make God look good? What he's saying here is completely and utterly countercultural. Both 2,000 years ago and I think today. But that's the heart of sola deo gloria. All that we do is done to the glory of God, the only one who is worthy of that glory, the one who creates us, sustains us, who walks with us in hardship, and who celebrates with us in times of joy. Now, I want to talk about some specific ways that you and I can live out uh, this idea of glorifying God. Because Paul gives this specific situation, uh, but not a lot of the meat that we eat is offered to false idols. So I wanted to maybe apply it to us in a different way. And I want to do that in, in three little waves. The first, I want to look at how can we glorify God when planning our future? How do we glorify God where we are today? And how do we glorify God with our past? Like I said, Corinth, every decision that you make for your future was based on whether or not this is going to benefit you. Is this going to make me look good? Is this good for me? And I think in the same way that, that, that you and I meticulously plan our future, uh, where, our, where our money is going to go, where we're going to live, where we're going to go to school, all this stuff, we, we plan it. But often, at least in my life, I don't always ask God, where would you have me? Uh, for example, some of you are in college in this room, have children in college or relatives. Some of you are considering college next semester. Uh, I don't think which school you go to gives more or less glory to God, but I think that what you do when you're there can either give glory to God or yourself. Who you, who you surround yourself with. And approaching these things, I think, takes time, preparation, prayer, and humility so how do we glorify God with our future? There it looks like having a plan of how we're going to remain faithful amidst the temptations that culture offers for us. Uh, a lot of you have bought a house in the past. Ellen and I sometime in the future are going to end up buying a house, and we, we, we tend to, to think, um, okay, I need a house that's right for me. Uh, so that means I need a three- to five-bedroom house, preferably with a big yard, a finished basement, a finished attic for storage, a, a two- or three-stall garage in a very safe neighborhood with a school district that's going to be great for me and my kids. And admittedly, a part of that conversation has not been, God, where do you want us to live for me? I have all these, you know, hopes and dreams about living in the perfect neighborhood, giving my kids an awesome yard with a big tree to, to play in because that's what I did when I was a kid. But maybe glorifying God with where we choose to live looks like moving into not so safe of a neighborhood. And that's, that's difficult when you're putting your children, I know, in, in harm's way. But there are ways to live safely in an unsafe area. But the idea is that we need to ask God where he would have us go, what he would have us do. Does this make me look good or God look good? So how do we, how do we glorify God where we are now? Not like in this room. But some of you work retail, you know, Kohl's or, or McDonald's. So some of you are like, yeah, I work at McDonald's making eight seventy-five an hour at, at the cash register uh, where we sell overpriced orange juice and breakfast burritos that are way too expensive now. 
They used to be like 89 cents. I would get two of them for under $2, and it was wonderful. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. But I think part of what glorifying God where you are now looks like making your workplace an environment that people love to be in just because you're present. It means working your best, not, not, not cutting corners, not, not cheating the cash register or cheating your way to an easier workday. It looks like working hard for the glory of God and giving God praise for what he's giving you now. That's true of Kohl's. That's true of McDonald's. That's true if you're a project manager or you're a CEO of a business or a deacon in the church or an elder. It looks like making your place of employment where you are now a great place to be for others and a way to testify about the risen Lord. What's, what's, I kind of have it easy. I, I work in a church, so people assume that I'm going to speak spiritually about things and have a, a knowledge of Scripture to inform their lives, and they just kind of expect that. But for people who live, uh, who work, you know, in, in, in retail, and Coles, I think your job is, is much harder. You guys are on the front lines of, of evangelism, of discipleship, of of, of witnessing to Christ in a way uh, that because I work in a church, I might never be able to do. And that puts a huge burden. But it's a beautiful burden. It's challenging. But I think it gives glory to God. It really, really does. Some of us now, uh, we're Sunday Christians. Some of us. I'm guilty of this too, where our faith exists Sunday morning and then Sunday morning, and then, and then Sunday morning without ever any connection in between. How do we glorify God there? Sometimes I think glorifying God uh, means asking for transformation, asking for motivation, asking for an avenue to get plugged in, to get connected, to be a part of someone else's life here at community. Whether that's programmatic or not, I think giving glory to God where you are now looks like asking God to, to, to show you doors. Sometimes glorifying God now simply means enjoying creation, enjoying that overpriced orange juice and breakfast burrito, just giving God thanks for the, 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 the food that he's offered, even though it's too expensive. I'm really salty about that. I love it. <laughs> You're yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love McDonald's. I really do. I um, no, it, it looks like just giving thanks to God for where you are, enjoying creation. Go camping. Or if you don't like camping, go RVing. <laughs> Sometimes where you are, though, right now, means poor health for some of us, some of the people that we know. What does it look like to glorify God when the future doesn't look so hopeful. Or maybe you're in the middle of some habitual sin. What does it look like to glorify God when your actions don't seem to be glorifying God? I think in the middle of, of loss, the middle of, uh, in fact, there are people in this church that don't have that much time left. And maybe glorifying God looks like being honest about where you are about reaching out to the person who seems to have no hope, offering kind word of encouragement, of honesty, grace, 
truth. Asking God to transform your life if you are in habitual sin. To repent. You know how much God loves a repentant person? That displays his glory more than, more than so much. It displays his glory so much. It's a beautiful thing. That's where I was. Which leads me to, how do we glorify God with our past? Some of the people in this church have been going to church for 60, 70 years. They've been faithful followers of Christ. Their children uh, went to church their whole lives. Their grandchildren were baptized here. Their great-grandchildren may be baptized here. Uh, but, but some of us have a past that's not quite so pretty. Uh, there are some people in the church, maybe it's you, who look at your past and say, there's nothing that glorifies God about my past. In fact, I'm ashamed of it. But I think there's an incredible way to use your past to glorify God. You're, you're saying, Andrew, I've got, I've got two failed marriages and four kids from three different people. How, how does that glorify God? And Maybe that didn't glorify God at the time, but now you can walk with somebody who's considering divorce, who's considering leaving their family, and somebody who has experienced that can now speak life and truth in a meaningful way. Maybe you've experienced intense loss in the past, and now you can walk with somebody in this church who's experiencing the same thing based on where you have been. And that takes some boldness, too but it glorifies God in such an incredible, incredible way. My challenge for us today is to stop asking the question, is this best for me? Does this make me look good? Is this what I want? And start asking the question, is this what God wants? Does this make God look good? Do my actions make people see me and say, wow, his God must be incredible. I want to know his God. That's my challenge for all of us today. My encouragement is that it's absolutely impossible to do perfectly. I fail, you will fail at this. But by the grace of God, God will change lives by working through yours. Past, present, and future. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all unto the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many they may be saved. Let's pray. Father, we recognize this work as being fruitless without you. I recognize that my works, apart from your spirit, are dead. But I thank you for the grace that you have shown me by transforming my life and transforming others through your work in my life. Lord, give us the, the boldness, the audacity to live for you, to live in a way that makes people want to pursue you who have never known you before. Lord, convict our hearts. Lead us to repentance. Lead us to a life that's glorifying to you and not ourselves. For it's in your name and the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. All God's people said,
Amen. Don't forget, Trunk or Treat is tonight. We are still planning to be outside. It's kind of cold. It's 45, but it's not supposed to rain. So we're planning on being outside. Bundle up. Bring your trunks, meaning your cars and not your swimsuits. (laughs) 5.30 if you have a trunk. 6 o'clock if you're just coming through. I look forward to seeing you. Heads up, next Saturday night, fall back. We gain an hour. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, let's uh, receive the benediction. In the words of Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you therefore to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received in all gentleness, patience, and humility, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Go in peace. Amen.